Hello, I am Katrina Collier, and as part of my mission to inspire all the people that recruit people to treat people better, I bring you the Hiring Partner Perspective Unedited podcast. Here, you will hear from those hiring leaders who create true partnerships with recruiters, HR, and talent acquisition because they know that it delivers a better result for the business and a better human experience. May this podcast inspire other hiring leaders to create better partnerships with their recruiters and HR. And may it inspire recruiters to create true and valuable partnerships with their hiring leaders because people make businesses succeed and people matter. So let us begin. Today, I am thrilled to welcome Glenn Elliott to the Hiring Partner Perspective Unedited. When I thought, who do I want as my very, very first podcast guest, I knew instantly it had to be you, Glenn, and why will become very clear to listeners during the course of this episode. But first, huge love and thanks to our sponsor, WorkDrive, also new to the scene with an internal mobility tool like no other that you must go check out. So, Glenn Elliott, of course, I know you from your time as CEO of Reward Gateway. But what have you been up to recently? Because I know you've moved. Hello. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I was um, I was CEO of Reward Gateway for I think twelve or thirteen years um, until about two thousand eighteen, and then I took a bit of time off. I found a wonderful guy, Doug Butler, to um, take over my role, and then I took a couple of years off. Had a mini breakdown, some time off, you know, the usual thing that you do when you finish being CEO. Uh, yeah. I'm now exhaustion. Ex- exactly. Total burnout and exhaustion. It uh, took me about a year and a half to calm down enough to notice it. And then I'm now, um, for the last year, I've been working full time, which is four days a week for me. That's my full time. Yeah. Um, full time for a, um, a private equity firm called Tenzing Private Equity, where I've got really fancy title of entrepreneur in residence. Um, so I'm the only non-investor in the investment company. And my, <laughs> my job is not to not to be an investor, not to look for what to invest in, not to look for what to buy. My job yeah. is just to help those management teams to grow their businesses. Uh, and Which that's what I do. Cool. And actually, uh, look, I wasn't going to talk about this, but now you mention it. I love the fact you gone through, well, no, I don't love the fact you went through it, but you went through the burnout and you realized, and you've gone, I'm going to do four days a week. Yeah, I've gone, I'm going to start my day at 10 a.m., which sort of shocks people. And I'm like, I'm not available for 10 a.m. Like I am kind of on messenger, but, and actually I think that's probably quite important for the people that you're also advising because they're all entrepreneurs and they do tend to burn themselves out. So it's funny, actually, they, they, they do. And it's, you know, um, I've been doing a lot of work just um, recently thinking about this. Like the first thing I recommend all entrepreneurs and management teams do, the first thing they should do after we've invested is go on what I call the post-deal holiday. They need a break because they've just yeah. been a really exhausting three, four, five, six months sometimes process to find the right private equity partner. And it's really exhausting. And they're knackered. And sometimes they're so you're, so, you're so wrapped into it, you don't even have the chance to notice that you're knackered, but it's the worst time to make okay. important decisions. Like, you know, what's our three, four, five year plan? So I want everyone just to like calm down, take a break. Uh, and it's, it, you have that guilt that goes with it. Yeah. I mean, do. it took me six years to have a holiday. 
And And when I did, oh, my God, did I have a holiday. But the guilt of not working was insane. Yeah, uh, (laughs) it's funny, actually. When um, when Doug and I started working together, so Doug became CEO, but he did the first year and a half with me as CFO and COO. And uh, I used to love it. It sounds ridiculous. If I saw in his diary he had a day off for golf, he was a golfer, Mm-hmm. I loved that because for some reason, just seeing it, it made it made me give give me the permission to relax for a moment, thinking it's yeah. okay to have a day off. And I think we need that. And I mean, I'm very fortunate. You know, I've had a successful business career, and I can now, you know, I guess choo- choose what I want to do. And, yeah, four days a week. I don't have work email on my phone. Uh, or slack on my phone wow. because it feels like no point especially given that we can't go out in the pandemic like you know mm. anyway um, <laughs> and i do not look at my you know I, I all my colleagues know if you need me on a, on a wednesday which is my day off or the weekend you've got a phone and make a fuss otherwise because i often i'm often nowhere near my phone i'm trying not to be near it so see that's old school isn't it pick up the telephone yeah because <laughs> if you send me a slack message or an email there's no way i'll see it i will confess i did hunt you down for this yeah. I was nearly going to an Instagram message. I was nearly there. So I'd gone LinkedIn, then I'd gone ah. to Charlie, then I'd gone to email, then I'd gone to another email. I was like, I'm going to have you as my first well, guest. I'm not going to run this podcast until you're my first guest. I'm notori- That's how I felt. <laughs> I'm notoriously bad on email. And everyone's very polite and they always say, oh, Glenn, I know you're busy. The truth is I'm not that busy. I'm just really disorganized. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I tend to, you know, I look at my inbox, like I looked at it this morning and I cherry pick the two or three things off the top of it that I can deal with quickly. And then everything that's off the screen, I just don't notice. Um, I um, created a uh, emails of 2020 subfolder and literally dragged all the emails <laughs> that are still ridiculous in my inbox into that subfolder. Yes. And then just started 2021 with it. <laughs> I've had to check back at a few, but most of them are still sitting there. Dreadful, dreadful. Yeah. Now, I've got a question for you, bringing it back to recruitment. Mind you, I still think this burnout thing is very important for mm. people in the hot seat. Um, you are the only CEO I know who bought my book and actually read it. In fact, you read it twice. Yeah. And you also purchased copies for the entire talent acquisition team when you were still at Reward Gateway. Yeah. Um, what exactly prompted that other than your obviously adoration for me? But um, <laughs> <laughs> what prompted you... To do that, I've not heard of a CEO doing that. Oh, that's funny. I didn't realize I was the only one. I mean, I can... yeah, well, obviously, nobody else has told me. Maybe there are tons of them, but I mean, I'm pretty sure you're unique. Well, because um, because people is the only thing that matters in business, um, and recruitment, and, and especially recruitment process, or how we treat people, both the treat both the people that we hire and the people that we don't hire, is really, really important. Um, so that's why, um, so I bought your book because, yeah, cause I know who you are and I need to be some great <laughs> stuff on it. And whilst I know a lot of the things you talk about, I knew that I would learn more and, mm. and, and I wanted the whole recruitment team to really think about these things. Um, yeah. you know, it's, it's interesting. I, I ran a recruitment process, um, attending back in September. Uh, and I mean, I, I followed many of the very common sense principles that are in your book, you know, um, yeah. And I broke some of the rules as well, actually. That I love are, it. That are in normal recruitment. So, for example, it was the first. I was I was hiring a hiring a, a role which I'd never hired before, and I didn't know how I didn't know how many interviews I was going to do. I didn't know how long the process would be. Yeah. And I know that you know the textbook stuff is you should say to candidates, you know, it'll be two steps, and you'll end on this date, and it will be. And I just didn't know, so I fell back on just um, communicating really regularly and being really honest with people. Um, yeah, and I had like nine. How refreshing! I had like I had about 85, 85 applicants for that role. It took me Whoa. ages to do CV sift because I kind of 
I, kind of, I, I ballsed it up. I just said, send me a CV. And then once I got all the CVs in different formats with different things, I realized I could have asked for more sensible questions. Uh, so it took me ages to do CVs. Well, plus they were in that inbox that you don't like looking at. Yeah, I know. Um, and, and I kind of, you know, I, I kind of got through all the CVs. I read them all really carefully. Then I decided I should have had a scoring framework. So I had to go, and go back and do them all again. So the first CV stuff took me about three or four weeks. And I just kept, I just kept email. I just thought, you know, if yeah. I'm a candidate, what would happen? You know, you, you probably get to the end of the week and on Friday you're thinking, God, what's happening with that job? So I just, I just emailed exactly. everyone on Friday. Just said what I would, just said, and just said things like, I'm really sorry it's taken longer than I thought. It's the first time I've recruited this role and I didn't realise how long it would take. And See, I find that incredible. That here you are, because I've got a question about how you hide your team coming up. Yeah. But you have hired, you are experienced, but there you were being really vulnerable and going, do you know what? I'm not quite 100% sure what I'm doing. Yeah. And you were sitting in that vulnerability and going, that's okay. Like I, and I think I, I wish more hiring leaders were doing that. You know, some some of my hope with this podcast is that they listen to this and they feel inspired to go. I'm human. I don't necessarily know. Let me call no. in help. Let me ask. You know, that's well, amazing. I love that. I mean, I kind of think you know, it was firstly it was very true. I mean, I was in a brand new, brand new role in an industry that I've never worked in before hiring a role that never existed before, you know, with a recruitment process that I'd never done before. So frankly, dressing, wow. it, dressing it up as anything other than that would have been, um, it just require more, more acting skills than I have. Uh, and, but it was amazing how, um, so the process dragged on for ages. I mean, it, it was, it was very bad textbook stuff and it took about <laughs> 10 weeks or something or eight weeks to, to recruit. But I was looking for one person that I ended up with, um, I ended up hiring three. The candidates were so great. And I had so many emails from people saying, thanks, don't worry how long it's taking. It's so nice to be informed. So nice to hear from you. I mean, and it, yeah. it made me realize the bar must be very, very low. Very um, low. That, that, you know, people apply for jobs and just never hear anything back. And I gave personal feedback to like my, I think for the last 15, I wrote them all, you know, for the 15 that didn't get into the last round, I wrote them a personal email. And for the, for the, the top five that we didn't hire, um, I offer them a, a 30 minute um, feedback call because it doesn't take that long. You know, I'm <gasps> That's not, amazing. I'm, I'm not that busy that I can't do that. And you never know who you're going to meet in the future, you know, going to like exactly. bump into you in the future and so, need, you know? On the, on the 30 minute feedback, you know, I know one of the biggest problems I hear from recruiters and HR about hiring leaders is that they struggle giving feedback, yet here you were prepared to give 30 minutes. Were you not concerned about, oh, they might sue me because I discriminated or they always come up with lame excuses for not giving feedback? No. Why did you feel so okay to do that? It's funny, someone else asked me that. I think there's an an old, um, there's a medical stat actually. People don't sue doctors who've got a nice bedside manner. So if you're nice to people, don't get sued, you know? People only sue people that, that piss them off. And if you're open and honest with people, I mean, there was one candidate who did not get through to the final round. And, you know, it was so tough. Give it, his was the hardest feedback call because he was amazing. It was just that there was one other candidate who I did end up hiring. He was almost identical to him. He just had an extra year's experience in his previous two jobs and therefore had a couple of extra stories as evidence about what he'd yeah. done. But if I hadn't met the candidate that I hired, I would have had, I would have hired the one that I didn't get through. So when I gave him his feedback, I'm like, there's nothing I can tell you to do better because, you know, you were, you would have, in a different, 
in a different month, you would have been good enough. You'd have been fantastic yeah. and you'd have been successful at the role. But he really And you may well pick him up later. Well, the thing is, we've kept in touch. He's got a new job now. Um, but so you know, cool. I, I would definitely hire him again. He just didn't make it on that moment. On that day. Um, and there was one candidate that um, uh, didn't get through to my very last round, a guy called Kashif. And, you know, I ended up doing an interview with him so we could do a blog for his website and stuff. And we kept in touch because... Anyway, he just wasn't quite right for this particular role, but he'd be right, mm. be great for other roles. And I think, yeah. you know, uh, I think it's, it's so I, I'm fine with giving. If you're yeah, with and people, I think if you if you don't give the feedback, then you lose them as that silver medalist candidate, as we like to call them, that person that you can pick up later if yeah. you don't give that. I, I was kind of going to ask you, and I don't know, it's sort of similar to what you were saying though, but I, going back to when you were at Reward Gateway and you're just starting off and you're just starting to grow that team, like what was it like? <laughs> I mean, I guess a bit like this really, like not sure what you were doing, a bit terrified to take a risk or? I mean, really not sure. What what we were doing. When we first started Reward Gateway back in 2006, I mean, I knew absolutely nothing. <laughs> <laughs> if I'd known that employee engagement, what is I that? Mean, <laughs> seriously, if I'd known how much we didn't know, I would never. I would have been too frightened to start. So thankfully, I didn't. oh, but that's the thrill, isn't it? Of being an entrepreneur. Think, <laughs> the stuff know, I know now, I didn't know eleven years ago, is hilarious. <laughs> I think you know the interesting thing is about Reward Gateway is Reward Gateway didn't start with any money. We didn't have any uh, investors at the start. It had no VC right. or angels or anything. So yeah. we it, there was five of us who were there on day one. And, you know, we scraped together 50, 50 grand on credit cards to start the business. Oh, my God. Um, that was it. I mean, the whole thing is basically founded on that. So we, so the, what it meant, we didn't have, we couldn't pay. Firstly, we couldn't actually pay recruiters for a start. I mean, I yeah. mean, paying a recruiter an agency fee was a lavish dream that, you know, we could, it would only happen years later. Um, and we couldn't pay high salaries either um, because we didn't have any money. Um, so all you're left with is being nice and kind to people and honest with people and like trying to get them excited, trying to find people who could be excited about what you were trying to do and would yeah. kind of like, you know, join on this crazy journey. I remember, um, employee number three, uh, <laughs> well, well, I can remember employee number one. I mean, she was uh, Katerina Jaworska. She's amazing. She, she, she had been working for the polish newspaper in london and she'd, yeah. been made she'd been made redundant and um so what what was her reaction to being made redundant she just roamed the streets of shoreditch knocking on office doors until someone gave her a job and i was the first oh. one to give her a job that yeah. is tenacity isn't it Absolutely. She's wow. just like she literally she, I, I can remember being i was running my previous business at the time and someone said there's a woman in reception who's refusing to leave until you've spoken to her <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh and then we see wow. and she you know and i remember saying to her well i, I don't even know what you're going to be doing cat because this company's barely formed in my head you know, she says, I don't care, oh, I'll do anything. I, I can, you know, I'll do admin, I'll do organization, I'll do sales, I'll do customers, I'll do help desk, <laughs> whatever you want, I'll do it. And she was with us for eight years and left as a really senior um, person in affiliate marketing, went on to a fantastic yeah. career in affiliate, started her own business and stuff. I must admit, I do love that about you, like watching Charlie Taylor grow through oh. the company and to where she is. No. But you were going to say something about number three. Yeah, so number three, I mean, Will, it was Will Tracks, yeah. So, uh, so Cat, Cat was number one. 
Uh, James Graham was number two. He was he was an engineer, and he he stayed with us right up until 2015. And then he now oh, works wow. with my friend Tom, who was our sales director. They've got their own business, Jiminy. Um, but number three, Will was James's friend, and I remember you know, yeah. Will, like super super smart, you know, first class degree, I think from Oxford in something really smart, like super intelligent, and he had the choice between going to work for. Um, the like I've forgotten the name of the guy. The big guy at Barclays Private Equity. He's like famous. This sort of you know, yeah, really big wig in time <laughs> in, Bar- in Barclays. He'd be he could work on his personal team, probably earning a fortune. Um, or he could come and work for this like crappy startup in the middle of back street of Shoreditch that had no money and an idea. And somehow we managed to get him to choose us. Uh, Bob Diamond, that's who he had a job from job offer from Bob Diamond, if you remember the name now. Um yeah. who, a real big wig. And uh, yeah, and he came to work for us and and Will's still there now. He's he's chief technical officer on the exec team. Amazing. Uh, 14, 15 years later. And he's and he's he one of those exceptions that proves the rule because he has managed to stay not just on his game, but ahead of what the company needs for the entire 15 mm. years, despite the fact he's never worked anywhere else. Amazing. Amazing. Really. Uh, probably because he has the curiosity. Yeah, but to and, go and learn and to to yes. what else is possible, and I think it's such a crucial skill in people. Yeah. And actually, I wanted you to ask because you clearly get that people matter, right? And I, I, I've said to you, I can't think how many times. I mean, it's always a joy, obviously pre-pandemic, to walk the floors of Reward Gateway because you, the the staff they just have this mm, thing that you just. You know, as my recruiter head, I want to bottle mm-hmm. and take to every company and get every company to hire people like that. Um, they're just exquisite. But how do you ensure you hire the right people? Like if you had a, do you know, or is it just a oh, intuition thing? Probably, I mean, we're not supposed to hire and gut, are we? But we all do. Um, well, I mean, I know what we, there's some things that we don't do. So we, we've never obsessed about educational qualifications. Um, that is so lovely to hear as someone who doesn't I, have a degree. And I bat in, in my little corner of Tenzing Private Equity, my little, the growth team, we call it, where I yep. come with, because they're, they're mad that Tenzing's, it's conservative business because it's financial services, but it's mad enough that it's hired me and given me free reign to run my corner. So yep. I actually ban educational qualifications in my corner because I just don't oh, see, no. you know, some people have an MBA and are amazing and some people are amazing and don't have an MBA. So I don't, I just don't care. I don't uh, honestly, Glenn, I sit here and go, I don't have a degree and I wrote a book. I, the yeah. number of times that goes through my head is like, you well, know, because people told me I'd never get anywhere without a degree, but it just wasn't for me. Well, I can remember <laughs> in about 2016, where I was sitting in an, uh, my New York flat with the whole Reward Gateway exec team of the time. Yeah. And we were like having we were having some sort of workshop session for a week or something. And we were having like a breakout coffee, just chatting. And we, know, we, we, we realized and we hadn't noticed before that less than half the exec team had a degree. Yeah. Uh, and no one had noticed. Um, yeah. And I mean, so there's clearly an, an imperfect match between that. Um, and, you know, I've got a, I've got a friend who's you know, really, really, really top of his game in, um, in retail. He got made redundant from big department store this year. And, mm. uh, and he and he he was was a job he wanted recently, and he couldn't apply for it because he didn't have an MBA, which is just oh, um, I so, know he's just got like thirty years of experience, but you know, so that's please one tick one. a box. So that's yeah. one thing we do. I think you know we always wanted to hire for for attitude, um, and and I think yeah. also especially in the early days, give people a chance. So very very early on, we um, on the advice of Helen, my co-founder, actually, we 
we had um, we had a policy of not not prohibiting applications from people who had a criminal record. Uh, you had yeah. to you had to explain your criminal record, um, but yep. we were open. And you know that that's interesting because over the first our first ten years, I think we probably employed four or five that I knew of. It wasn't widely discussed. We mm. kept it private. Four or five people oh, who had had a criminal uh, record in the past, and they were amazing employees. You know? Isn't so it we, something like fifty percent of the criminal convictions in the UK are driving offences anyway? And like like you need a car in London. Yeah, no, it's. It, I'm sure that's it. That's why there's the ban the box campaign. Yeah, and I think you um, know. So it's about say, seeing people, uh, you know, as as people really, um, yeah. not as not as because I think one of the problems potential. Is, yeah, and I think you know the problem with recruitment. I think is you know, people, you know, when asked what's the most important thing about business, very normal people say, oh, it's all about the people, all about people first. We're people first. Then when it comes to recruitment, they're in this ungodly rush to do it. So you know, <laughs> it's got to be done in a few weeks, and we can. Well, I've only got time to interview five candidates, and the whole thing is, you know, is really narrow. So then you get, you know, you get eighty CVs, and then you're rejecting people based on the spelling error, or the, or you don't like the font yeah. used in Word. And I think, well, <laughs> you know, have you done that? No, no <laughs> don't answer that. <laughs> no, I mean when I did my last recruitment in September, you know, I. I yeah. 70 or 80 CVs. I read everyone carefully. There was yeah. one person, one person spelt the name of Tenzing wrong 11 times in his CV, <laughs> including in three different ways. And I still put him through because I thought the experience was interesting. And I'm like, you know, and I know that as long be, as it's not a role requiring attention to detail, it'll be well, fine. You know, but maybe even if it was, you could just say, like, you know, when I when I discussed that with him in the interview, he was really, he was really embarrassed about it. And it could have been really good learning. So yeah, and, and I think you know you you can try and make your job as a recruiter really, really fast and efficient and easy and stuff. Mm. But actually, the thing that you've got to remember the prize. The prize is mm. I get someone who's going to be great in this role for like at least two or three years, ideally, you know, yeah. um, and really and be really good and move us on. Yeah. So I think it's worth. Um, and also, this, this document, this this thing that we have to write. I'm really hard to write because you're trying not to be arrogant as you're trying to blow your own trumpet. And it's like most people really struggle to write a CV or a resume and we're still basing recruitment off it. It's kind of crazy. I find most hiring managers really struggle to write a job advert. Oh, yeah. I mean... Well, see, that is definitely going to be... Actually, I'm going to ask you that first then, which is what is your top tip for hiring managers? All the companies that you're scaling, of course. What, well, I was going to say, what do they gain by partnering with recruiters? But to be honest, what do they gain by writing a great job description? What's my top tip? So first thing <laughs> is, there, there, are no, there are no good and bad people in, yeah. in recruitment. So people say to me like, oh, Glenn, so-and-so, are they good? And, I, and I, my question is always, well, are they good at what? <laughs> are they good at sales? Well, are they good at sales in what context and environment? Like mm. in a big company, small company, a tech, non-tech? Uh, SaaS, non-SaaS, in a small team that's growing, forming a team, in a big team that's established. I mean, in what context? And I think the, th- the, the most common mistake I see um, in hiring is not thinking about the context enough. So there's a great mm-hmm. example of this from Reward Gateway, actually. So just as I was, I think actually after I stepped down as, yeah, I stepped down as CEO, Doug had become the CEO, and obviously we needed a new, a new CFO then. And, yep. um, so the the the, the um, RG team got together with our investor Great Hill in Boston, and they wrote themselves this perfect CFO's job description and advert. And they got some candidates, and then right at the last minute, they said to me, "Glenn, will you will you interview some candidates for us?" 
And I said, yeah, well, tell me what you're interviewing against. Show me the advert. And I looked at it, and it was a really beautifully written, bog-standard CFO for a P firm that could have gone to any P firm. Yeah? Yeah. And I said, well, the advert's wrong. And they're like, well, what do you mean? This oh, is where, this is like, how really did that go down? Standard. Well, of course, they were shocked. And I said, I said really? It's like, that's the situation where, because, you know, it says, it says, you know, you've got to have experience of private equity, you've got to have the experience of managing debt, of uh, dealing with the big banks, all that kind of stuff. I said, well, frankly, you don't need those things because Doug, who's now CEO, he is like a real expert in those things and he's not leaving, he's not going anywhere. So those yeah. bases are actually covered. I said, what you've actually got at Reward Gateway at the time yeah. was we had really poor finance systems for the size and complexity that we were that needed a mm -hmm. re really, really looking at with like hun hundreds of thousands of invoices going out across all sorts of different products and too much of it was manual. And it really yep. needed someone who could like really get to grips with that and revolutionize finance from an operational and technology perspective. And then I, oh, I said, none of that's mentioned in the job advert. And what was interesting is- So they were basically replacing like for like instead of going- Exactly. Actually, we have an opportunity here to get something new in. What do we need? Yeah, what, what's the, missing? Looking, exactly. It's all about, I think recruitment's all about context. It's like, what yeah. context is the person coming into now? And when I, when I, so I met the four candidates they had um, and I taught them. So I sat down with them and said, you know, thanks for coming to the interview. And I was like, well, first thing is the job advert's wrong. Let me tell you what the job is actually like. And when I taught them what it was actually like, three of them were horrified and withdrew. And pulled out. And one of them, Ellie, she said, oh my God, this is my dream job. Isn't and, that great? And she's the CFO there to this day. And she's amazing. So actually your advice to hiring partners would be one, obviously what you just said, but also to just be honest, <laughs> like totally. to say, this is what it's like. So, And I think there's this real fear of putting what it's really like out there. Oh, it might damage our brand. No, no, damaging your brand is not giving feedback. Yeah. Telling what it's really like to work here is okay because some people will take themselves out of the interview process and that's okay. And Why I waste to, your time? And I have to be honest, I did not invent this idea myself. I but I, I learned it and I learned it from Simon Sinek. So Simon Sinek, who's right. you know, famous, famous writer for books like Start With Why, but one of his least well-known pieces of work is a three and a half minute YouTube video called Write the Perfect Want Ad. Want ad being American for yeah. advert. So if you type into... Not wanted for criminal activity. You know, write the perfect want ad. So type that into Google, write the perfect want ad, cynic, type into Google, and you'll find this yep. three and a half minutes um, YouTube video of Simon just explaining uh, really nicely why you've got to be very specific. Uh, and I've just done it. With, I'm helping one of our portfolio companies um, recruit a senior finance analyst uh, right now. And when I spoke to the recruitment agent that's helping us, uh, he said, what's it really like there? I says, well, this company has got really, really shitty systems. That data's all over the place. Mm -hmm. So I said, you know, so like to do something straightforward, they have to go to five different places and cobble it all together in Excel. <laughs> I said, then you need to make sure that's really clear to the candidate because there's no point yeah. in getting me someone who's, I don't know, worked at, Shell or BP or something where everything's <laughs> really mature and really nicely, you know, sophisticated. Exactly. Because they, they're going to hate it. Yeah. Um, and I need someone who's like totally happy, with, totally happy in that mess uh, and will make the mess better, a little bit better every week. Um, and I think we, yeah, I think honesty in job adverts is, is key. I, I but also you are honest with your recruitment agent that you're working with. Yeah. So what... <laughs> 
See, I, I'm trying to get hiring leaders because I refuse to call them managers because they're not managing the recruitment process. Um, I'm trying to get them to partner better with recruitment agents or their in-house recruiters, whoever it is that is actually doing the work to find the CVs and bring people through to interview, Yeah, to get them to partner together. So is one of your bits of advice, again, just be honest or do you have any suggestions of you know, why hiring leaders should do that and and how? I mean, to be honest, when I think about it, I'm amazed any recruitment works given that both sides are lying most of the time. You know, the candidate, the candidates, <laughs> the candidates telling you that they're amazing and they can do all this shit, and the and yeah. the saying the job's perfect, the job's fantastic, and the culture's amazing. So everyone, yeah, not everyone, everyone's lying. It's a miracle that anyone ever stays longer than three months. Uh, yeah, you've got it. I think I think recruit for context. You know, so it's like yeah. you know, is is Glenn good? Is Glenn good at what? Or is he good as a CEO? I'm good. At, I'm good as a CEO at a certain stage type of business, right? So I'm proven yeah. between like Norton four hundred people in tech, in SaaS, in B two B. But if you stuck me running a consumer business that was bigger or smaller, I mean, I've, never, I've got no experience of doing. Not done it. Yeah, I've never done it. So I think we've got to get away from the, this kind of like, is this a good person or not? And we've got to really, and we've also got to get away from generic job adverts and generic yeah. descriptions. And you've got to think. I like a really. I like um. Like I like it. I like when recruiting to fo- focus on like what is the actual situation that this person will find themselves in when they arrive. Yeah, and what are the f- small handful of things that will really make them successful that are really important. You know, like I remember hiring a um, a sales director for the US once, and th- this in the the job advert for it had gone around the houses, and everyone had contributed a bit. And it had all sorts of nonsense in it, like, you know, must be able to present nicely at the board. And you know, <laughs> it had a hilarious word in it, said must present a business-like demeanor. And I have no idea. What does that mean? What does that even mean? I said, oh, I'm a bit worried about you and I hearing that. Well, at the time, I was, <laughs> I, was, I was sitting in a T-shirt, a hoodie, and wearing socks and no shoes. Yeah. And I'm like, shit, all right, I'm not going to get this job. But actually, <laughs> the problem with it was there was a page and a half of requirements for what we needed from a sales director. Was yeah. actually, when I spoke to... The, the person is going to report to, and I said to her, "What do you actually want from this person?" She said, "I want someone who who will, when they walk into a room, their team's eyes light up because their leader just arrived, and then know they're going to have a great time." <gasps> oh, that's and I was like, "Right." So, well, that's not what your job advert says. I says that's because that's what you're looking for. All your all you really care about is this person is a fantastic leader that helps yeah. that helps and coaches their team to succeed. I don't give a shit whether he, can, he or she can present at the board. <laughs> In a business demeanor. Because I can get someone else to do that. All the yeah. other, get the other stuff off and just focus on the few things that really, really matter. Um, not because otherwise when you otherwise when yeah. you're interviewing you can miss what really matters because you're fixating on like, well, are they going to look good in front of the investor? Who cares? Mm. And I think from what I'm hearing from that on top of, oh my God, I want to work for that person who lights up the room, yeah. um, is yeah. one, the, there's a lot for hiring leaders to learn, but I think recruiters also need to stand their ground and go like enough, like come on, context. So I think yeah, context and what really makes a difference. I what think, really? You know, yeah. So I think if you're going to do a lot, you know, I, in, I kind of think the, the meat of a job description should be quite small. What you're actually looking for should be quite small. Mm. But the job advert actually can be quite long because it should be including a lot of context about what yeah. is this company, what's the systems like, what's the team like, what are you going to find yourself in, are you going to like it? Because you mm. know, a good job advert will select out a whole bunch of people who think, oh, do you know what, that's not for me. That's yeah. great. 
I couldn't handle that like, technology mess. I'm yeah, not going there. <laughs> and that's okay. Yeah. Um, Glenn Elliott, I cannot thank you enough for being my first guest it's on the Hiring Partner Perspective Unedited because we just no, there's been next to no editing um, other than a bit of sound. Um, I cannot thank you enough for that. Um, if anybody wants to get in touch with you, obviously email. Um, <laughs> no, what's the best way? LinkedIn? So I'm on LinkedIn and Twitter. Uh, I do look at my LinkedIn once a week and I'm normally reasonably good at replying. Uh, I get, I'll, tell you what, I'll tell you a secret. Hardly anyone ever sends me a Twitter DM. So when Twitter I get DM. one, I think it's, it's like you know, like a direct message on Twitter. Yeah. So when someone does that, I'm like, oh wow, I've got nothing on Twitter. So They're my, very important. So my Twitter <laughs> inbox is really empty. Um, LinkedIn, Do you LinkedIn, look at your uh, message requests on Twitter though, for the the people that go yeah. into the other box? Oh, oh well, wow, you're super that. good. I have to check that. <laughs> you, mean, you mean I've got a whole whole inbox I've not seen? Possibly. Yeah, the way, if if someone's a, not following you, they go into another. Inbox. Oh, I see. I'll have to check that. Maybe that's where it often has spam maybe in it. Maybe that's where they're all living. That's not where mine was. I was going for Instagram. No, no, no. <laughs> I think I think Twitter, uh, Twitter or LinkedIn, or you can email me at Glenn G L E N at Tenzing T E N Z I N G dot P E, and I will attempt to be helpful. And, and that is Tenzing. Yeah, Tenzing. <laughs> it's all about mountaineering. We're mountaineering obsessed. Tenzing. Oh, I love it. I love it. Um, thank you again. Just the perfect first guest. I knew you would have loads of information to share, so I cannot thank you enough. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Hiring Partner Perspective Unedited Podcast, proudly supported by the people at WorkDrive. Hopefully you really enjoyed what you heard and have left feeling inspired. And if so, I would love your help to create real change. Please pass this podcast on to your hiring leaders and other recruiters and HR even share it on your social channels if you feel so inclined. But the more reach we can get, the more change we can create. So please remember to subscribe, of course, on your favorite podcast platform. And do come and say hello at Hiring Partner Perspective on Instagram, where I share behind the scenes of what's going on. Until next time. Thank you. Hi, my name is Sarah, and I want to tell you about my podcast called Can I Offer You Some Feedback? I'm a business consultant and executive coach with over 20 years experience in change management, leadership development, and naturally providing feedback to high performers. My podcast is for those of you who have a complicated relationship with feedback, whether giving, receiving, avoiding, or seeking. Feedback is essential for our development. In each episode, you'll hear from real people across industries with their ideas, perspectives, and best practices on feedback. I'll also be sharing business bites with you, simple explanations of organizational tools, management techniques, and leadership philosophies that will help you and your businesses thrive. You can listen to Can I Offer You Some Feedback on your favorite podcast app or learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com.